do today is come to part three on our little series on the Word of God. And after I studied this, I've been reading through commentaries throughout the week sporadically here, and then yesterday I dive, dove in, I guess you could say, is into some deep waters. And I assure you, Lord willing, we will have a part four on this. It's just too deep. Um, the text before us, the Apostle Peter is dealing with uh, the truth of the Word of God. And as you well know, the Scriptures itself is its own defense of the Word of God. As Brother Keith mentioned earlier about Psalm 119, that is the Mount Everest. It's God's commentary on His own Word. And I'd like for us to have another part on this because there's no way we're going to be able to bring this out, especially verse 20 and 21. I have three points, but the third point we're going to, Lord willing, uh, pick up next week. So, in chapter 1 of Second Peter, this wonderful uh, second epistle Notice how many times the Apostle is, first of all, giving us the truth. The way the believer looks like. Then he goes to the Word of God. And then, as the direction flows by the Spirit of God, as he's moved by the Holy Spirit, and he speaks about this in this particular verse we're looking at today. He goes to chapter 2, and notice chapter 2 deals with false teachers and false prophets and their heretical teaching. But isn't it important to realize, to know how a false teacher looks like, uh, what he teaches, um, before he is to be reproved? He must be exposed. What exposes him? The truth of the Word of God. Not our opinions. It is God's Word. And that's what Peter is actually bringing out here. So we're going to be picking up right there. But the title of this is, The World Darkens, But the Word of God Shines. The World Darkens, But the Word of God Shines. So if you're not already there, let's look at Second Peter chapter 1. And let me read verse 19 through 21 at the end of the chapter. And like I said, we're not going to finish all this today, but... We're going to try to cover as much uh, tracks as we possibly can. I'm reading from the New King James Version translation. Hear the word of the living God, verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Or some translations would say, we also have the more sure prophetic word. I like that translation much better. We also have the more sure prophetic word, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. In verse 21, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but 
holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. May God richly bless the reading of His Word from our ears to our hearts. Please bow with me in prayer as we seek the Lord and His blessing and His anointing. Our Father and our God, we come before You, O Lord. First of all, as has already been said, we thank You for this precious book, or 66 books that's been compiled into one great book, the Word of the Living God. Your Holy Word, You have blessed it. You've blessed it to the reading of our ears, but even more so, Lord, You've blessed it in our lives. We have a privilege was such a privilege we have it in our own language. And it's cost so many, cost so many, the blood of their very lives. Lord, You said various times and various ways, You have spoke time past in these last days, spoken to us by the, beloved, uh, by the prophets, and now in these last days it's spoken to us by Your beloved Son. So Lord, our prayer this morning is that The same prayer the psalmist prayed in 119. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep keep your word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Lord, we would pray, cause us, because we cannot do this within our own power, cause us to see only Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That we would only see Jesus. So that we may look and live and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And not only see Jesus, but to hear only Jesus. Father, You pointed this out at the Mount of Transfiguration. Hear ye Him. Hear ye Him. And to the end, that we may love You, Lord, that we may submit to Your Word, obey You. And we ask this for Your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. And the world darkens, but the world... But the Word... The Word shines. The world darkens, but the Word of God shines. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary has a... um, a wonderful observation he gives to us in this particular section that's very interesting. It's an interesting observation concerning the advancements the world has made. And I quote him here. He says this, In some respects, the world is getting better. I thank God for the advances of medicine, transportation, and communication. I could speak to more people He was a very well-known spokesman years past. He's with the Lord now, but he says, I could speak, he also spoke through the Bible, Um, I could speak to more people on one radio program than the apostles preached to uh, to, to their entire lifetimes. I can write books that can be spread abroad, even more translated, even translated into different languages in areas of scientific, Achievement, the world has made great progress, but the human heart, the human heart is still wicked. 
and all of our improvements and means have not improved our lives. Medical science enables people to live longer, but there is no guarantee they will live better. Modern means of communication only enables uh, lies to travel faster. (laughs) Jet planes enable us to get places faster, but we do not have better places to go. And uh, I'll stop right there. That's pretty much what he says. End quote. I think this is so true. And Wearsby gives a good observation. And he was talking all about this before the inventions of the internet and the iPhones. If he was around today and seeing that, he'd be quite surprised. But yet we're not surprised, are we? As children of the living God. And it should not be a bit surprising to us that the world is so engulfed. Engulfed in spiritual darkness. Zombies. I see this quite often. People just walk in the streets like zombies. We live in a very dark world. And it's not surprising because of sin. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus Christ warned us that there would be counterfeits. There would be false teachers. No exceptions. That would invade the church of the living God with their false doctrines, their heresies. Matter of fact, let me read just a portion there. You don't have to go there, but it's a very strong portion right at the end before he concludes at that wonderful, the greatest sermon ever preached on, on that mount. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 15 through 20. Let me just give you a portion of this because it's so important of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ that He gives to us the warnings against false teachers. The first thing He says as He goes into this particular section, beware. There's the word. Beware of false prophets, false teachers, who come to you in sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing but inwardly, in their hearts, who they really are, in other words, they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? What a question. Then he says this, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. That's the way the law of nature goes. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. A very simple illustration there, but how true it is to the nature of man and to those who are not converted and to those that are converted. Then he goes on to say, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. He says it's cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, he comes to the point here. And this is what real discernment does. Righteous judgment. There is a judgment here. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. You will know them. And the judge is not us. The judge is the Word of God. Now, this is a very somber and serious warning from our Lord concerning false teachers. 
The Apostle Paul also gave similar warnings to the elders in Ephesus. I don't have time, but if you read it in your devotional time, Acts chapter 20, he calls the elders to come together. The Apostle Paul brings them together and he charges them. These are elders, these are leaders, these are pastors. And he warns them against false teachers. And uses the same language our Lord does. They will be like wolves. And they will not spare the flock. Serious. Wolves eat sheep. He continued to give warnings after warnings throughout his, all of his epistles throughout the New Testament. And by the way, the Apostle Paul was used to, so mightily of God, he gives us most of the New Testament. A large portion of it. Even the Apostle John, known as the Apostle of Love, by the way, warned us about many antichrists that will come. False teachers who would seek to destroy the church. Infiltrate it like leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, Paul said. Same loving warnings against false teachers come from also the Apostle Jude, the Apostle James, the Apostle John, the Apostle Paul. Jesus Himself spoke against the false teachers. And here now the Apostle Peter tells us these warnings. These apostles did not expect the world, by the way, to this dark world to get better, did they? As a matter of fact, it's going to get worse. I know that sounds like a negative statement, but it's the truth. False teachers will come and infiltrate the church, and we see this happening right before our very eyes, just cut on the television, and they're right there with a phony grin and with a suit. Motivational speakers, but you won't hear one word about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the sufferings of Christ, the sufferings of a Christian, and the glory of God. I assure you of that. You, but you'll hear everything about what, how good you can live this life, how blessings will overflow you, and give them what they want to hear. Itching ears, Paul said. And, those, and these people come as wolves in sheep's clothing. And they are spreading and teaching their damnable heresies. Sounds harsh, but it's the truth. They will lead some and many astray from the faith that was once delivered to the saints. As a matter of fact, let me give you another verse here. We've already heard the Lord Jesus Christ, which I believe is the most serious warnings of all. But the Apostle Paul, again and again, warns in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let me read verse 1 and 2. Now the Spirit, now notice what he says. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, says. Not Paul's interpretation here, not his private interpretation. It is the Spirit of God. The Spirit expressively says that in the latter times some would depart from the faith. What happens? Giving heed to deceiving spirits, seducing spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Another translation is a scorched conscience. 
the conscience is scorched. Beloved, we are there. We are here. We are living in these days. There is a famine in the land of the Word of God. The world gets darker and darker, but the Word of God will shine brighter and brighter, even if it's in a small minority. Gideon had the lamps. God used Gideon and his small band, and God was glorified in a small band. And they had the lamps to bust and go forth, and they did exactly what God said. Verse 19 through 21, the Apostle Peter here really makes three simple but powerful affirmations about the Word of God. And as I was reading Warren Wiersbe, I got this simple outline for him, so I'm going to give him the credit. Verse 1, I'm sorry, in chapter 1, verse 19, verse 19a, it is a sure word. It is a sure word. Second, in verse 19b, it is a shining word. It is a shining word. And third, Lord willing, next week we will pick up here verse 20 and 21. It is the Spirit-given word. I love that. And I said, Brother Wearsby, I'm going to have to borrow that. I won't give you credit. But I love that simple outline, so I'm using it. A sure word, a shining word, and a Spirit-given word. And then we will look at some applications at our conclusion. First of all, The Word of God is a sure word. We have a sure word. A more sure word, actually. What the Scripture says. And He says this. And we uh, we also, we, have the more sure prophetic word confirmed. It's confirmed. I love that. There is a confirmation. And by the way, at the Mount Mount of Transfiguration... There is not a contradiction, there's a confirmation. And what happened at the Mount Transfiguration was foretold by the prophets. So it's not something that was out of the ordinary. There was a confirmation to it. These verses here, Peter defense, his defense of his premise is really the return and the arrival of Jesus Christ. That is his defense. That's his target point. The coming of Jesus Christ. And that is a verified truth and a fact. So the apostle, for his defense of this truth, and I love the way Peter does this, and it's by the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit that leads him. Peter brings forth two witnesses for his defense. We're going to look at these two witnesses. But if you look in verse 16 through 18, as we looked at, he introduces what he and the apostles saw concerning the transfigured Lord. It was a display and a preview, a foretaste of Christ's glorious return to reign in great power as King of kings and Lord of lords. They saw a foretaste of this. And by appealing to the facts of history, Jesus Himself stands as the first witness. Jesus is the first witness. And Peter calls into defense. That's a good witness. The Lord Himself the head of the church. He introduces the second witness, uh, and guess what the second witness is? The Old Testament Scriptures. How do we know this? Jesus is in the middle, and then you have Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. Those are, that is, they represent pretty much the all that is said from God using these men of the entirety of the whole of Scripture. 
all focused on Jesus Christ. That's really what Peter is saying. Rather, working against each other, the revelation of Jesus Christ that was recorded in the Gospels affirmed all that the prophets predicted and so worked together to affirm the certainty of Christ's return. And keep that in mind because that is his target. He's speaking about the truth of the second coming of Jesus. How often do you, you ever hear a false teacher talking about that? Do you hear about the coming of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus? No, you turn to Revelation and some pretty rough things is going to be happening. God's going to pour out His wrath. False teacher's not going to warn you of the wrath to come. Or they're going to warn you to flee from the wrath to come as John the Baptist did. And... Peter presents the Old Testament as his second witness. Peter explains three vital principles here. And let me give them to you. That every believer, first of all, must understand. There must be a proper knowledge. We looked at that. He speaks about that all in chapter 1 before us. The knowledge of God. The knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of Self-control. You see this all. The knowledge of God and, and of our Jesus Christ our Lord. The knowledge. Not just intellectual knowledge. He's talking about this deep-seated knowledge of the truth that's found only in the Scriptures and in Jesus Christ, which the Scriptures point to Christ. So the, the three vital principles here is we must understand regarding the Old Testament Scriptures as we will look at that the Word of God is a sure, more sure word and a shining word and a Spirit-given word. But we also must understand the relationship the Old Testament has with the New Testament. That's critical. That is very critical because... And then following up after that, there's a method, and that method is by which we approach the Old Testament and the source from which we receive the Old Testament... And by the way, there's no one that's going to truly understand this book unless they have the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God will, is, the one, is the one that opens our eyes to the truth, to perceive the truth. We will look at that in a minute. So, three vital truths given principles here. Our relationship and understanding, the Old and New Testaments, the method, we approach it, and the source from which we receive it. So we must understand this by God's help and grace. As we study to show ourselves approved unto God, to rightly divide the word of truth so that we will be a workman that needs not to be ashamed. So we saw last Lord's Day that Peter makes a link, a bridge, so to speak, if you will, between what he just stated in verses 16 through 18 of the transfiguration. Now let me comment about this again. To give us up to speed. It's necessary that we follow his train of thought. Because his train of thought within these next few verses, verses 19 through 21, is really the backdrop is the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. The preview of the second coming of Jesus. That's the backdrop. That's really what he's aiming at. So the first question we will look at, and pretty much it's been answered by the text itself, is it must be answered whether Peter pits the prophetic word 
against the witness transfiguration? Or does he use both the prophetic word and the transfiguration to advance his argument? So pretty much that's what he does. It, the transfiguration, the experience that happens there, that happened there, is not pitted against the scriptures. It's actually the prophetic scriptures that foretold it. See, it confirmed, that's why he said, it's a more sure prophetic word that's confirmed. You see, you see his train of thought there. So it's very critical that we understand that. The we, notice, he calls into witnesses. Peter calls into James, speaks of the Apostle James, he speaks of the Apostle John. But it also, also, it could mean the other apostles as well. But specifically, at the Mount of Transfiguration, he's speaking specifically about James and John. Referred to in verse 16 through 18. Now, the apostles here, and uh, he also does, he, he has someone else in mind, or does he? No. We will consider these questions as we looked at. But... Peter first establishes a connection between what the apostles witnessed and saw in the scriptures that actually predicted this glorious event. By the way, it was a glorious preview. Wait till it fully comes in its fullness when he comes back. I'm telling you, the whole earth and the heavens will shake. Nations will be stricken down. He provides an encouragement too, by the way. Just not warnings. There is encouragement to the readers to keep searching the Scriptures so long as they are preserved because they are profitable. They're profitable for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished for all good works. The point Peter really is making is in verse 19. The Word of God is sure. Don't you love that? There's an affirmation. And by the way, the gospel itself affirms the prophets. The gospel itself affirms the prophets. And when I say the gospel, I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about His person. I'm talking about His works. I'm talking about His life. And all that He did from the moment He was born into the stable to the point to His humiliation to the cross, His death on Calvary's cross, everything that the whole entire Bible is focused on is on Christ. And we're going to see that. But Peter says we also have a more sure prophetic word. And by the way, the apostates, and the, the apostates is a serious term. This is someone that Claim to be a believer that knows the knowledge, they've tasted of the Word of God. The book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews deals with this. Those, that's why it's called apostasy, apostates. They know this truth, and yet they turn against the Lord willingly and blasphemy because of their hate for the truth. It's satanic. And this is where Satan works the most. He's got the world, folks. They're in darkness. But it's 
within. He's trying to infiltrate, and he does it through the false teachers. And we see this. You and I talk to people that's been brainwashed by these false teachers and giving them what they want to hear. The flesh just soaks it up. And it's everything that the devil offered to Jesus while Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness. Same devil. And you see what he does. And and notice, you go back to the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, where God dwelled and met met man to commune with him. Satan targets. The real target just was not... Yes, it was Adam to bring down the human race, but he does it through casting doubt on God's character and God's Word. That was where the crosshairs was aimed at. And Satan went after it because he's the father of all lies and Jesus says, that's who we're dealing with. And notice when Jesus defeated him from those temptations, Jesus had to come back. It is written again. It is written again. The Word of Lord, God's Word. And here's the living Word quoting the written Word. How much more should we? It's sobering. Well, the apostates would attempt to discredit the promise of Christ is coming. Naturally. There's judgment to come. A false teacher will not talk about this, folks. Take it to the bank. Challenge anybody that listens to Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, or any of these heretics. I can guarantee you they do not preach about the judgment to come. But this, is, this Bible is all about this. And if you're outside of Jesus Christ, there's, there will be no hope. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only hope. So if they... See, but what these false teachers want to present, they, they want to have their cake and eat it too. They basically want the millennium promises given to them. They want a crown without a cross. But Jesus, see, the same, Jesus knew. He, he desired the cross. He knew the joy before Him. He knew there was a crown because this is the King of glory. So He goes to the cross, but He knew the way to that glorification is through the cross. And by the way, there's no escaping it for any us of us. All disciples, to be the disciples of Jesus Christ, will have to bear a cross, deny ourselves. These false teachers teach that you, you could jump that, you could skip that. Impossible. 2 Peter 3 3. I've already quoted it last week. Knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own desires, their own lust. What did they say? Where is the promise of his coming? Where's the promise of his coming? Now, if they speak about the coming of Christ, they're going to say, oh, no, no, there's not going to be no coming. For since the fathers fell asleep, they died. All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But the Holy Scriptures were sure. For after all, by the transfiguration, the preview of the second coming of Jesus, that's why Peter brings this up, the promise of the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ is reaffirmed by Moses and Elijah and the Son of God and the Father in heaven. That's good witnesses. Even the Spirit of God Himself wrote the record and for the church to read it. Isn't it glorious? That's the witnesses we have. Listen to Psalm 19.7. 
the testimony of the Lord is sure. sure. I'm just giving you God's Word. Psalm 93.5 Thy testimonies are very sure. Psalm 111.7 All of His commandments, all of His commandments are sure. Psalm 119.128 Therefore I esteem all Thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. That's God. I hate every false way. Every false way. Interesting. Also, if you put together 2 Peter 1.16 and verse 19, it says it like this. Let me connect the two. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, myths. And then he says in verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Oh my Peter says in verse 19a, and so we also have a more sure prophetic word. It's confirmed. So Peter is basically saying in essence, so we have also this more sure word. It's a more sure prophetic word to which you do well in taking heed to as a lamp that shineth in an obscure place, a murky, dark place, until the day dawn and the morning star arises in your hearts. You know what I believe he's saying there? We should link the word heed with our hearts. In other words, we should, in other words, heed with our hearts. It's our heart. It's our soul. Just not the mind. Yes, I like what R.C. says. Before it gets to the heart, it must pass through the mind. But it's got to get to the heart. That's the target. See, Jesus, read the Sermon on the Mount. Everything goes to the motive. Every, everything, every command and everything He says. And you constantly hear Him say this. But of old you have heard it said, Thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, If you committed murder in your heart, you're already, you, 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 you've done it in your heart. You have said of old, it has been said of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look on a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You see where Jesus goes. He goes to the heart. That's what He wants. That's what He wants to change. I like what one preacher said years ago. I like this. He said, if I didn't have all this revelation, and it's glorious that we do have all this revelation, but if I didn't have all this revelation, if I had just the Sermon on the Mount, I would know how to live the Christian life. I'd amen that. The Word of God is more reliable than anything. The teachings of Jesus, the person of Christ, the atonement, the second coming, His glorious virgin birth, His perfect life, His glorious atonement, second coming of Jesus, all of this the apostles focused on. Listen to the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He speaks about the gospel in verse 1 to 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. You stand in it. Verse 2, by which also you are saved. This is what saves us, the gospel. If you hold fast, there's perseverance. You've got to persevere to the end. If you hold fast, that word which I preach to you, the word of faith, the word of life. That's what he's talking about. 
And then he says, unless you believed in vain. It's interesting that he puts that in there because there's people that believe in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you. He delivered it. That's what their apostles was really for. They delivered like the uh, prophet, uh, the last of the Old Testament prophets, the apostle, not the apostle, but the prophet uh, John the Baptist. He was just a voice crying in the wilderness, but he delivered the message. And he said, this is, this is what he was all about. His mission, his life was to point people to the Lamb of God. And once that happened, he knew. Death was imminent. Death was okay. He fulfilled his ministry. Incredible. And Paul goes on to say that Christ, listen to this, first of all, that which also received, he says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Notice he didn't say according to my experience on the road to Damascus. How many false teachers would say that? Let me focus on my great experience here that God knocked me down on a horse and blinded me. It's like I saw in noonday sun something so glorious and brighter than the sun itself. But he did not elaborate on that. Now he gave testimony to it. He testified of it before kings. But when it came to the gospel... He says, according to the Scriptures, verse 4, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day. What? According to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. Not experiences, but to the prophetic Word. Refers not just to the Old Testament, major and minor prophets, but to the entire Old Testament. How do we know this? When the truest sense, the complete Old Testament was written by the prophets, right? They were the men of God that was moved by the Holy Ghost, and we'll see this, Lord willing, next week. But since they spoke for God, thus saith the Lord, and wrote for God, moved by the Spirit of God, they spoke about the coming Messiah. And even Jesus said this on the road of Emmaus, Luke 24, 7, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, speaking of Jesus, expounded. You know what that means? He explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus himself went to the scriptures and expounded on it. Wouldn't you love to hear that? Then you jump to Luke 24, 44, and 45. Listen to this. Then he said to them, These are the words which I speak to you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding. That's key. See, because we can hear the sermons. We can understand it intellectually, but opening our understanding our perception of it. That's another thing. That takes the Spirit of God. But Jesus can do that. He opened their understanding that they may, might comprehend the Scriptures. I like what John, Pastor John MacArthur says about this text here. He says this, quote, In the inscrutable wisdom of divine providence, the substance of Christ's exposition of the Old Testament messianic prophecies was not recorded. But the gist of what he expounded would have undoubtedly included an explanation of the Old Testament sacrificial system, which is full of types and symbols, 
and spoke of his sufferings and death, and he also would have pointed them to the major prophetic passages which spoke of his crucifixion. End quote. That is so true. Even though we do not have a record, a word by word of everything he preached that day, we do know he went to, you can imagine he went to Isaiah 53 and he, he quoted that whole chapter and he would say, look, this is all about me, the suffering servant. And he would go to the Psalms and he would go to all the prophecies of what the prophets spoke about him. So the gospel affirms, right, and confirms the Old Testament prophets. And the events of Mount Transfiguration confirmed all these prophecies of what the apostle witnessed and did not set aside the Old Testament prophecies or make any more certain, but simply added to the confirmation. That's really the point. So the apostles was given a glorious privilege and a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ's future kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's all going to be fulfilled, folks, when Jesus Christ comes back the second time. Well, second... Not only is the Word of God a more sure word, it is a shining word. It's a shining word. Very quickly, notice verse uh, 19, second portion of that. You do well to heed. It's a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Old Testament has several uh, Old Testament verses, as many of them here. I just chose just a couple. Uh, Examples of God's Word being compared to a lamp. Here's one that's very familiar to us. Psalm 119.105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Notice that. First, it's a personal lamp to our personal feet. Then it's a light to the path. So it must be first personal in our own walk. And it's, it's especially a light in a dark place, meaning a murky picture of a dark cellar or, so to speak, a swamp. Human history begins in the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? It's a lush, it's a green garden, but because of sin, that garden was turned into a dark, murky swamp. It began as a beautiful, lush garden. Now it turned into a dark, very dark, murky place. That's the way this world is, isn't it? The world system, the prince and the power of the air... Satan, the God of this world, the depravity of men's hearts. We see it everywhere. Just cut the news on. We see people murdering, murdering, murdering. And notice today, as Brother Willem talked about the Numbers chapter 35, all the laws and the justice that God gives in courts. See, it all comes from Scripture. God is a just God. Peter describes the world as a murky, dark, fallen, sin-sick world, and we see it. Now listen to the Apostle Paul speak about this. Turn with me very quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a wonderful chapter. Let me just read it to you. Look at chapter 4, verse 1, beginning in verse 1. Therefore... Now it's interesting that therefore is there because... The verse before, we all, verse 18, we have unveiled face, beholding it in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, see, since we have this ministry, we 
as we have received mercy, we receive God's compassion, we do not lose heart, we do not faint, but have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, there it is, the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's, what, that's our ministry, folks. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. We live in a world that's blinded. Who do not believe, they don't believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God should shine on them. And notice what he says. Verse 5 and 6, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves for your bond servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a loaded text. But that's the power of the gospel. It's like Paul was thinking about creation. And a new creation. And when there was dark and there was voidness and emptiness, God speaks. And then God says, what's the first command? God says, let there be light. And there was light. Powerful. That's the power of the gospel, folks. There's another Old Testament verse. I love Proverbs 6.23. Solomon says this, for the commandment is a lamp. And the law is a light. And notice what he says. People don't like this part, but I love it. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Reproofs. Believe. Believe it. Church would do well if she would pay close attention to these written prophetic verses. But he speaks here, the day of Christ's kingdom will soon dawn. Jesus Christ began His earthly ministry in Matthew 4.16 the people which sat in darkness saw a great light speaking about his first coming into this dark world the dawning of a new day Jesus comes Luke 178 through 79 through the tender mercy of our God with that which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to the guide our feet into the very way of peace Speaking all about Jesus. His first coming. John 1, 4 and 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. How many people you see today that, oh, I need Jesus, I need truth. And they read the Scriptures, and yet they continue to sin. And, they, and when they come to the passages of them about repentance, about to, the command to repent, I don't want it. I don't want to hear it. They harden their heart. And the light, what's happening, folks, the light is shining on their darkness. And they love darkness rather than light. And that's what Jesus said. Why? Not because of you and me saying it. No, it's the truth. It's actually the power of the truth. Yes, we must speak it. But it's the power of the Word of God. You could read this in your devotional time, but when John, in John chapter 9... I'll read one verse from it, or a couple verses. 
I, I wish I had time to read that whole chapter, but John chapter 9, this whole chapter is about Jesus healing a blind man. And then Jesus points, after the physical miracle, Jesus points to the greater miracle. And the greater miracle is, He says this in verse 39 to the man that was once blind, then he became seeing that, but yet he did not come to salvation. Later on, he came to salvation. He, Jesus physically opened his eyes. And if you read this whole chapter, it begins with the, 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 the disciples had a question and said, Rabbi, Master, who sinned, the man or his parents, that this man was born blind? He was born this way. Jesus says, neither did this man or his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And then Jesus says this, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And I love this, verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus calls the Christians as lights of the world, right? But we reflect that light. It's kind of like the moon. The moon reflects the sun. The sunlight, and at, at a dark, dark, dark night, if the moon is full, don't you love to see a full moon? Well, that's the way the Christian should be. We should be full in brightness, reflecting the glory of God and the sun of the, the light of the sun in a dark world. But Jesus is that light. The day until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now it's important to note the preposition until. Peter is referring to this as a marker of time. You know what that means? As a point. In other words, when the light of Scripture is no longer necessary. And Jesus said it. I just quoted it. He says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But I must work the works of Him who sent me. Because one day, when the second coming of Christ comes, it's all going to be done. There will be no more evangelizing. It will be ended. And judgment will come in its fullness. The wrath of God. And there will be a point of the day dawns. You know what he's speaking of? Really in the context, the dawning of that day is speaking of the day of the Lord. Day of the Lord. And I just read a portion from Luke 1, 76-79, but Zechariah's prophecy. But where is Zechariah drawing that from? He goes to the Scriptures. He goes to Malachi. Chapter 4, one, two, and 1 and 2. Let me read those two verses. And listen to Malachi. And for behold, the day is coming. Now, right there he's talking about the day, the second coming of Jesus Christ. He goes all the way to the future, burning like an oven. This is the great day of God Almighty. And behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, listen to this, all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming, it's coming, which is coming shall burn them up. Oh, you'll never hear a false teacher preach this, folks. Says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch, but to you who fear my name, to those who fear his name, the Son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow like a stall-fed calves. Glorious, isn't it? In other words, the dawning day of the great day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus is coming. And by the way, the, we just went through the book of Numbers. Numbers 24, 17 says, a prophecy, I see him, but not now. 
I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and shatter the forehead and the brow of Moab and shall destroy the sons of Sheth. Speaking about his second coming. Runs through the it runs through Revelation. Revelation 2, 20, 25-29 says, But hold fast what you have till I come. This is Jesus. And he who overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And notice what he says. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. And I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. And Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What does He mean by give Him the morning star? You know what He's talking about? He says, I'm going to give you Myself. Did not God say to Abraham, I am your great, exceedingly great reward. God is the reward. Jesus is the reward. Heaven and the glories of it is the benefits. But He is the great morning, bright morning star. He's the rose of Sharon. He's all in all. What would heaven be without Jesus? It'd be hell. But talk to people out here. I just want to go to heaven and just be up there with wings like a, a cherub just floating. It's not like that. It's worshiping at the feet of Jesus and loving Him and adoring Him. That's what it's about. Verse 28. I will give Him the morning star. Our Lord is basically saying, I'm going to give you Myself. How do we know that? Jesus Himself is the bright morning star of Revelation 22, 16. I, Jesus, have sent My angel to testify you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. The bright morning star. That's glorious, isn't it? Well, my time's almost gone, but let me close with something glorious. Now, if you tie, want to tie this in, you can read Revelation 19. When Jesus comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords, and that's His physical manifest presence, comes back at His second coming, and look at what happens there. He strikes down nations, folks, I'm telling you. That's His glorious coming. That's the blessed hope. And by the way, that's what Paul speaks of, and I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for saying this, because my dispensational friends will say something about this. And I was once a dispensationalist, but when 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 speaks, most people referred that to the rapture. I don't see that. I see that as the second coming. Go with me very quickly. I cannot retain myself on this. I, I want you to see why here. Notice Paul. For the Lord in verse 16, chapter 4 for the Lord Himself would descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. Now, go to, then you go to 1 Corinthians 15. I can't remember exactly what verse, but it's there in that Scripture. He talks about that the last trump, the last trump, there's a series of trumpets. I don't have time to really break this all down, folks, but the trumpets, and here Paul speaks about the trumpet of God. A dispensationalist will say that is a different trumpet. How can that be? The dead in Christ will rise first. This is at the second coming of Christ, folks. This is not a, 
If you want to call it a rapture, fine. But at the second coming, it is going to be a grand rapture, if you want to put it that way. But there's only one second coming. There's no two comings. Three comings, I'm sorry. There's one coming, Christ came first. He came to die. The second coming, He comes back as King of Kings. There's no coming in the middle. That's what I'm saying. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain we shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in there. I've heard so many messages about the rapture from that text. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. But notice this in chapter 5 verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need that I should write to you. So you, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Now why would He change series of comings from chapter 4 to chapter 5 from a second coming um, to a third coming. You see what I'm saying? There's no rapture there and then the second coming. No, what's he talking about? He wouldn't change gears on that. He's staying in the same line of thought. And if you go on to read it, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, they shall not escape. I assure you, chapter 4, the end of chapter 4 into chapter 5 is talking about the second coming. Now folks, I, I could say that and say because I used to be dispensationalist. But as I see this in Scripture, and to people who say, yeah, it's your own interpretation view... Listen, take it through the Scriptures. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Don't take my word for it. Study it. I challenged somebody in my family not long ago. She... Okay, I already almost gave it away, but I won't go into it. We were talking about, she was talking about the rapture. And I said, look, study the Scriptures. Don't listen to this Tim LaHaye nonsense. Don't listen to Left Behind series. Most people in America base their theology upon left behind and duck dynasty and so forth. <laughs> I'm telling you, you go to the scriptures, amen? Be a Berean and study the scriptures, and that's exactly what I told her. I said, go to the word of God. Don't take my word for it. I don't want to talk about it no more. Oh, really? <laughs> well, anyway, let me leave on a good note. Let's, let's look at a good note. Go with me to Luke 18. And this is talking about the parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge. Now, some would say, Pastor, why are you going to go there? Well, Jesus talks about persistent prayer. But you know, in the light, you know what he's talking about? In the light of his second coming. That we are to persist in prayer, folks, in the light of his second coming. This is so much on my mind as a Christian that Jesus is soon to come back and I say, Lord, I want to be faithful. And this, this verse, this wonderful chapter from Luke 18 stands out. And notice what he says. And, and, and it's just actually eight verses he speaks of. Now, you've got to take it in context of what he just left. He just talked about in chapter 17. Notice what he says in chapter 17. He talks about his second coming, doesn't he? 
The days will come, verse 22, chapter 17, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Scoffers talk about that, don't they? And they will say to you, they look here or look there, do not go after them or follow them. Then he says, for as lightning that flashes out of the one part under the heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so the Son of Man will be, will be in His day. But first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. As it was in the days of Noah, only few were saved, right? That's what he's saying. Only few will be saved. So it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. And what did they do? They ate, they drank, they married wives that were given in marriage. Until that day, Noah entered into the ark. The flood came, destroyed them all. It was too late. Likewise, it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out to Sodom, out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now we've got a land that's corrupted by Sodomites. They call them gay, but gay means happy. That's not proper. I call them Sodomites. God is angry with the wicked every day, folks. But they are our mission field, by the way. We're to give them the gospel. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. He's talking about the second coming. Notice what he says. In that day, who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him come down and take them away. Likewise, one who is in the field, let him not turn back. And then he says this powerful verse here. Remember Lot's wife. Remember it. Remember her. What happened to her? She was judged. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. And I tell you that in the night there will be two men on one bed, in one bed, and the other will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women in the grinding together, they will one be let, taken, the other be left. He's talking about a second coming. Two will be, not the rapture, but the second coming. The two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. And the answer said to him, where, Lord, where? So he said to them, wherever the body is, the eagles will be gathered together. And you go to Revelation, you can see this. Then he goes, he spoke a parable to them that men ought to always to pray and not to lose heart. That means not to give up. Don't, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't faint. He encouraged them to this end. There was a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now where there's a widow in that city, she came to give him, uh, came to him saying, get justice for me from my, from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. At least by her continual coming, she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. Shall not God not shall and shall not God not avenge his own elect who cry day and night to him? See, they pray day and night, right? Though he bears long with them. And I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Now that's come at God's own time. God's timetable is different than ours. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth. We ought to be persistent in prayer like this widow. This is, our, this is our application, folks. Continue to pray and pray. Do not give up. Do not lose heart. God hears your prayers. 
He promises. He hears the prayers of the righteous if you're in Jesus Christ. And that's what He's saying. Shall not God not avenge His own elect, His special ones? Hear what the, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall not God avenge Him? God always does right, doesn't He? He's the judge of all the earth. Shall He not do right? He's filled with tender compassion for believers who suffer. Whatever you're going through today, you may be going through some illness, you may be going through some hard times. It's a trial, it's a valley, but beloved, God hears and sees. He loves you with the tender compassions. Just look at the life of Jesus, how much He loves you. His very own, He loves and He cries out for help. Then He says this, this is the point. I tell you that, I, that He will avenge them speedily. Now God may delay on our timetable, but on His time, He's never late. We may think it way down years down the line, but He's never late. He's right on time. We may not get the immediate results we like, but God says you wait. Help is on the way. Our definition of swift justice is not the same as the Lord's, right? God is patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I tell you, I I plead with you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, repent and believe the Gospel, beloved. Repent and believe the Gospel. And then He closes with this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on earth? In other words, are you going to be faithful? True faith is rare. You know, basically Jesus is saying when He comes back the second time, true faithfulness will be rare. This will be hard to find. In the midst of persecution, apostasy, which Peter's talking about, unbelief, and yet, we're commanded to pray without ceasing. That, I, I, heard, I read Spurgeon on this. Why do we need to pray without ceasing? Because we sin without ceasing. Our continual devotion to Jesus Christ should be a way of life. Would Jesus find you faithful? That's a question, isn't it? Would Jesus find you faithful when He comes again? When He comes back, like a thief. A thief doesn't tell you when He's coming. He breaks in when He wants to. Remember years ago when I was, when I was a child, my, my mother and I went to town I never have forgotten it. And you know this if you've been broken into. We were robbed. We came back. Everything was turned upside down. They were really after some guns my father had. And they dropped some on the way way out, but they tore the place apart. But we didn't know that thief was coming that day. We thought, oh, everything's good. We came back. By our surprise, we opened the door. whole place was just ransacked. Jesus is coming like a thief. He's, not, he's warned us. And the main thing is be faithful, be praying, be ready before it's too late. Will Jesus find you faithful when He comes? Will you be praying? Will you be crying out day and night? Will we be among God's people presenting, persistently praying that Christ is coming? Want to be glorious? That you be on your face before God when Jesus comes back? We should be praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done.
Will we be among the faithful ones? Faithful. Faithful. Never ceasing. Persistent prayer. Permanent calling of every true disciple. Faithful to Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray. Father, as old hymn, this says, God, you have spoken by your, by your prophets, spoken your unchanging word, each man from age to age proclaiming God, the one, the righteous Lord, and the world's despair and turmoil, one firm anchor holds us fast. It is you, O God, who is king. His throne eternal. God, you're first and you're last. God, you have spoken by Christ Jesus. Christ, the everlasting Son, of brightness of your glory, with the Father ever one. Spoken by the Word incarnate, God of God, ere time was born, light of light to earth descending Christ as God in human form. God, You are speaking by Your Spirit through Your Word now. Speak into our hearts again in the ageless Word. Expounding. God, Your own message now is then. Thank You, Father, that You have confirmed everything. We have a more sure prophetic Word. Shining word and a word that has been spoken, spirit spoken by your Holy Spirit. God abides, you abide by your word unchanging. God, your first and God, your last. So we thank you, Father, that as the world is so dark, that the day star arises and shines in our hearts through Jesus Christ and one day that will be manifest when your son will come back in glory, power and with all the holy angels Father you said it in this book you said it and you everything else has been fulfilled Jesus has fulfilled it. and one day at this glorious time you go, you're going to end all things in your, on your own calendar, on your timetable. Father, may, be we, may we be ready. May we be ready. And if we're not, Father, may, the, may we be prepared. Help us, O oh God, not to delay, not to put it off. Because the Father of all lies would have us to procrastinate and wait another day. Oh God, May we come to You as You plead us to, commanding all men to repent and believe the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ, the everlasting good news. Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We thank You, Father, for Your Word that we have a more sure prophetic Word. Cover to cover. And we give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.